like if you would to turn in your copy of God's Word to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. As we reach this last and final chapter of this letter that we're studying of Paul, 1 Corinthians, we're going to move into the 2 Corinthians here in just a week or two. Income, itinerary, and instructions. And so uh, Paul begins to wrap up, as is his habit, these marvelous passages in this letter to uh, this church in Corinth that we've entitled God's Plan for a Healthy Church. Over the last several weeks, we have looked, had as our focus the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 16, and those four verses are straightforward enough. They sum up Paul's instruction to the church concerning uh, the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. But of course, the passage, among other passages, is a general pattern, and it's a standard, if you will, for all New Testament giving, and we have entitled that pattern Guidelines for Giving, because if Paul says, as he does in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 16, 1 through 4, uh, giving is the way the church's needs are met, uh, giving is, normally occurs as part of worship, which we saw on the first day of every week, if he says the words, each one of you, which just means everyone's supposed to participate, if he says to do that, you're to put aside and save, which just means you're to intentionally identify amount to give, take it out of circulation, store it up, or accumulate it for the collection. And if, any, if he says uh, what you give, then really is ba- that base is basis for the Lord's evaluation of your generosity, because he says, as he may prosper. If Paul has said all that, then he's given some simple guidelines in the New Testament for giving to meet the needs of the church. So he expects them to respond, and that really is always the way we look at Uh, the Lord's commands to us, it is with the expectation that we respond to them. And then he says this, he says, so that no collections be made when I come, basically Paul says, you know, think through this, understand uh, the need, embrace your opportunity, this will be a time of blessing for you, a time of blessing for them. And Paul says then in 1 Corinthians 16, 3, look there for your copy of God's word, when I arrive, whomever you may approve, I'll send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it's fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. So you can be involved, in other words, to deliver this uh, ministry. And if it's fitting for me to go, I'll go. And so he says all of that then. And if Paul comes and says in verses 1 through 4 all those things, then the reason we've taken a little extra time with this is that if the scripture tells us that each one of us is to put aside and save as we've prospered so that we can give, and some say they can't do that, uh, then there's something interfering then with this normal behavior of a believer, and that's why we've taken longer than this section of four verses would warrant. Uh, so we've moved in more of a topical time, although we switched to other passages that we work through word by word. That's the reason why verses one through four, although so straightforward, uh, have many who respond and say, I can't do that, that it's not possible for me to do that. So if Paul says to do it, we're to respond to it, of course, because that's how we respond to the Lord's commands, then we take some time and say, okay, how can we better fit ourselves then to be in a position where we can respond. And that's what we do with all the types of the Lord's admonitions to us, whether it's by th- for, according to thought life or gossip or, or whatever it is. We take the Lord's commands. We, well, I'm not doing that. Okay, then we need to adjust the way we do that, who we're being exposed to, how much time we're spending in the Word, where we're focusing our time. And then we put ourselves in a position then where the Lord can bless that action. See, that's called the sanctification by the Word of God. That's how that works. We read it. What does the Bible say? What does it mean by what it says? Now, how does that apply to me? And so uh, we go through it then verse by verse and do it that way. So last time we looked at some scriptures and, and we really asked a lot of questions based on principles we see there. 
And I have prayed that that's been helpful to you. Many of you have responded and said, indeed, it was, and have asked other questions. So we just take some time to cover some other things. I want to save some of the extra background material so that when we get to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we'll have some other things that we probably need to add to this that can help us uh, make that transition into, okay, this is how I'm supposed to manage what the Lord has loaned to me. Now, the big question, of course, that we ended with last time was this, do I love money? And we understand that scripture is very clear about that. Uh, do I not have what I need because I'm trying to serve two masters, like we saw just in our brief overview of Luke 6, um, am I, or Luke 16, rather. Am I responding to one master, and so because I'm responding to this one master called money, I can't really respond to what the Lord wants me to respond to. And when the scripture takes time to deal with this, do I love money, so much time, I think it's important that we do as well. And really, many of the problems we have following through with Paul's simple instructions in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, can really be connected to that question, do I love money? Uh, so the writer of Hebrews addresses it, and he says, make sure that your character, see, this is a character issue. This is where you really evaluate yourself and say, this is who I really am, see. Um, Make sure your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. In other words, don't love money. Why? Well, because this type of desire really is opposite of contentment. It is a direct command from the Lord, make sure your character is free from it. And ultimately, God is the one who takes care of us, so it's really an absence of that understanding, at least in its application to our life. Uh, so our joy, our security ultimately come from him, and that's really an absence of those things, our joy, our security coming from him, and we're just putting our joy and security connected to what we have, how big our paycheck is, what our bank account looks like, our investments, or whatever. Proverbs 15, 27 says, he who is greedy for gain troubles his own house. Ecclesiastes 5, 10, we'll come back there in a minute, that whole passage in Ecclesiastes 5, if you've not ever read it, really deals with this pursuit of money, what it, if, whether it satisfies or not, and all those kinds of things. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. And just an observation generally of setting our heart on some certain thing like, uh, like material wealth uh, over and opposed to the way the Lord has instructed us to deal with it spiritually ends up that it won't satisfy anyway. Now, what's the, what's the love of money that Scripture speaks about? That's where we left off. First, first Timothy chapter 6, 9, and 10 really give us a place where we can get some very direct teaching concerning the whole attitude that comes along with New Testament uh, approach to, to giving and to, what, and to evaluating what we have. And I like the Timothy passage because it is Paul giving Timothy, who is a pastor in Ephesus, the instructions to give to the church. So it's, it's just a one-to-one -one here. So uh, as the church in Ephesus benefited, so the church at Berean benefited, and thousands of other churches benefit today and have benefited in the past from the direct teaching from Paul to Timothy to the church. So he says this, what am I supposed to teach them, Paul? And here's Paul's response. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's pause right there, because there's a lot of stuff we need to look at. Verse 9 certainly takes us back to the question we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Uh, do I really need more in order to give, or am I just trying to raise my lifestyle uh, in a, in disproportionately with my income? But the idea, I think, expressed here, this longing for is an inordinate or undue, unreasonable desire for us, stretching out the hand constantly, a drive to attain. That's the idea, that this is kind of your dominating you know, idea that I need to bring in more. And that's what scripture says we don't want to do, our character then kind of dominated by this love of money. And in general, we know, uh, as we said, the principles of God's word don't exist in a vacuum. So when we see the principle, we isolate it and pull it out, then that becomes then... Uh, the, the instructions on how we're to live. 
See, and those are to be obeyed, and then we follow through with those things. So we start to put this all together, thinking specifically about dealing spiritually with material things. We kind of, last time we kind of crunched it all together, just gave you some general principles, which you wrote down. Here it is. God has given the power to get wealth. We see that. Um, all that comes in then is really his. And then the second part is he's given wealth as a stewardship, and it becomes a test of your and my morality. So just in general, everything that comes to us is from him because he gives us the ability to do it and to bring it in. And so then that becomes then, because that is all from him and on loan to us, we certainly can see from Deuteronomy 7, from Psalms, all through the Proverbs, that this is definitely how uh, he wants us to look at it. So we understand that that's the case and we apply. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. We'll pick up where we left off then last time. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 says this, For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. Now, if you're a note taker, this is your first note stop on your bullet on the back page. Question number one, are you ready to agree with God that everything you have comes from him? So as we've come up to this point, we've asked a lot of questions, and hopefully you've been able to say uh, no to those. These are the ones that you want to say yes to. So as you pull, as we pull out the principles, then as we saw in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, and these principles for uh, dealing spiritually with material things, we get to these questions here in 1 Timothy 6, 7, as Paul makes these observations, we want to make sure that we can say yes to these, so I've just kind of framed them in a way that you can respond in a yes manner. Are you ready to agree with God that everything you have comes from him? Because that is the truth, correct? I mean, obviously, we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of it either. We see God's the one who gives us the power to get wealth. We see that everything in the world belongs to him, so obviously, it's a connection there. We can agree with God that everything we have comes from him. That's a good starting point. Everything we have comes from him. Look around you. Whatever it is that the Lord has added to your life, whether it be in, in, uh, in belongings or whatever it is, your checking account, uh, you know, your investments, all that, everything comes from him. Are you ready to agree with God about that? That's a good starting place. We had no ability or power to bring anything into the world. You didn't come in with the talents that you have. You didn't come in with the abilities that you have. The Lord gave those things to you. We have no ability or power to bring anything out of the world. Uh, that includes everything we use to bring in money, our intellect, our talents, our connections, our wisdom. We don't have any of that, no credit for any of that. That's all the Lord's. Now look at with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. So the question is, uh, can I say yes to God that uh, I would be content with just the basics? Would that be enough? Can you say yes to God about that? Now, that might be adjustment from what we're used to, right? Uh, but that is uh, certainly a, a very basic principle. If Paul says this in numerous places, not just here, but in Philippians as well, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Can you say yes to God? You'd be content with just the basics. If all you had were just the necessities of life, could you agree with God that that would be enough? And certainly, we, we can all say that we have way more than just the necessities of life right now. So maybe it'd be hard to get our mind around just those or even evaluating what those necessities may be. But the fact of the matter is, can you say yes to God? If, if Paul says, if we had food and covering, with these we can be content. Can you say yes, Paul? That's true. If we're beginning to say yes to these things and we're starting to manage material things in a spiritual manner. Now let's look at our next question. And again, uh, you know, with the warning not to long to get rich, uh, not to love money, not to chase after wealth, uh, when we have whatever it is we have, to handle it in obedience to God's design, revealed through his words, see, in all of that, we find that we can evaluate our attitude towards material things, and if we're able to begin to answer yes to these questions, we'll be able to be on the path of handling material things in a spiritual manner. So, we also saw that, you know, allowing the Lord to be in the process, in the use of what he's loaned us, we'll find then we have an ability to obey. 
the instructions the New Testament gives us on in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and many other places. So in other words, so to respond correctly and then to begin to put the Lord in the middle of those things, will, you will find that you are able to start answering yes. Okay, you may be answering no right now. No, I, I, I can't say that yet. No, you know, I, I can't agree with God that everything I have comes from him. But when you begin to put him in the process, you begin to see what Paul is saying here, you then begin, and maybe you've said no to the, uh, to, uh, the other ones, and, and uh, maybe you've said, well, I don't have enough. There's no way I can do that. I, uh, you know, there's more months than paycheck, and this is a consistent pattern for you over, the time, over, the, over uh, time. Then you can begin to put the Lord in the process. You'll find that you'll be able to begin to say yes to, yes, I can begin to make this. I can begin to do these things. I can begin to set aside these things. And you'll see the Lord in the process makes that work. Now, look at the next verse. We'll get to question three. This is verse nine. So, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. So again, the basic principle, do I love money? This is an extension then of Paul's conversation here. Those who want to, give, want to get rich, that's that desire in your character to chase after an inordinate desire to reach after things uh, monetarily. Question three, have you been able to put away from yourself the drive to attain things as a form of satisfaction. So in other words, uh, do you feel better because you have stuff? Is it very satisfying to you because you've, you've gained in material wealth or you've gained in, in uh, things around you? Because uh, this is the thing that we want to avoid. So we want to be able to say, yes, I've been able to put away from myself the drive to attain things as a form of satisfaction to me. See, there's a recent national survey found over half Americans feel at least a moderate stress in their lives. What's surprising, of course, in the study is that... Um, the more highly paid and educated report higher and more persistent levels of stress. Apparently, education may lead to a higher income, but not necessarily a higher life. The study concludes, stress soared with the level of income. A factor, and this is interesting that they brought this up, that many economically pressed citizens can hardly understand. In other words, most people think that if you have very little, that's a very high stress place. Maybe you've been there and it's hard to make the bills and that might cause stress on your marriage. But actually, uh, the higher the income, the higher the education, uh, there was a correlation with the higher the stress factor. And more bad news, it said, those who can most afford to enjoy the high life often don't, missing meals and sleep, drinking more often, and getting less exercise. And this is where we go back, see, to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 11. Um, when good things increase, those that consume them increase also what advantage to the owner but to look on. That's what, that's what uh, Solomon says. When things increase, those that consume them increase. And so, you know, the study, I think, just, just uh, confirms what Bill Vaughn said. Money won't buy happiness, but it will pay the salaries of a huge research staff to study the problem. And I think that that's really kind of how it, this, this circular thing that comes around and kind of bites us. And there's a lot that we can say about the verse, but I think three nouns really illustrate this verse from Paul to Timothy. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation. There's one. And a snare. There's two. And many foolish and harmful desires. There's three. Three things I think we can see there that really can help us understand uh, about this verse, what we need to get out of it today. And, and really, I think we could say a lot, but the first one, temptation, parasmos, that's a noun that has to do with the constant testing of fidelity. A testing of fidelity. I think you can understand that, right? When you're in a position where you're, the question of fidelity is always there, perhaps no oversight, perhaps uh, you've got a lot of uh, you know, free time or, or free uh, opportunity to do what you want, and it's a test. Uh, when, and, and the idea is then when the eyes go away from the God who provides and onto the provision, 
as a means of satisfaction, see? So we moved our eyes from the Lord who's the one who's given us these things, and we rely on him, to switching over to the provision that's been given, that's the means of satisfaction, and not what the Lord does, see? Then the result will be an opportunity after opportunity to sell out for more, see? That's the idea. So once we've moved off of the God who provides and onto what's been provided, then we can be this constant test of fidelity, this temptation of just kind of selling out to get more and get more and get more. And I think we see many examples of that in our culture. We don't even have to bring it up. Second one is a snare, pagida. That's the noun that has to do with the catching of game. So that word's used in the snaring, particularly of birds, but by its very definition, it is sudden and unexpected. So it's easy to be trapped then by the desire to have more, and it perhaps becomes an unexpected uh, negative aspect of setting your heart and your character on what's been provided instead of provider. So there's a temptation then for fidelity that you kind of sell out for more. There's this snare that kind of comes on you, and then it becomes this obsession. And then this desire, that's the third one, epithomia, a craving, a longing, an appetite, if you will. Wanting to get rich can create, here it is, longings and cravings that seem to need to be satisfied. So in other words, the more that comes in, once we've turned our eyes away from the provider and on to the provision, then it's, we have to have more to be satisfied, see? There's certain needs I have, and I've got to do it. And we hear this a lot, see, you know, well, well, could you afford it? Well, not really, but we really, really needed it. Well, maybe, um, but if you couldn't afford it, and then you had to go into debt to do it, and it was a, a consumer type of debt, see, we got in this, we got in this circular type of thing where we have a hard time getting out. We've, we've had this temptation, we, we get this snare on us, and then these desires that we really are not needs, but become what it seems to be needs. And the Holy Spirit calls them foolish, and harmful, see, and they plunge, this is the word posidzo, they, the, the verb posidzo, they plunge you into, and it has to do with drowning, see. If you can say yes to having put away from yourself the drive to get rich, not only are you on the road to dealing spiritually with material things, you've avoided some serious problems as well. Now look at verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. So again, same topic, the love of money the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered. That's the word for being led into error. They have been led into error, away from the faith, and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And everything really centers, see, on how you feel about what you have. See, you've longed for or you have this love of uh, uh, material things, and that's the roots of all sorts of evil. And, and here's the thing. You can love money and have a lot, and you can also love money and not have very much. It's not really connected to what you have. It has, it's connected to how you feel about what you have. Jesus gives this great barometer again, Matthew 6, 19. It's very familiar to you. He says this, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's the question, where's your heart? Because that's wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And sometimes the obsession with money is connected to the fear of losing it, isn't it? Um, I think Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6, 25, For this reason I say to you, he says, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And that's the question. Is your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is your life more than your portfolio? Is it more than where you live? See, that's the question. Where have you set your heart? Is your life more than those things? Because Jesus uh, assumes that it is, if you're a believer and a follower of him, you haven't set your heart on the provision, but the provider. 
And so again, just to firm that up in your mind, question four, have you been able to calm the worry associated with the possible loss of all you have? Because a lot of times this, this obsession with getting more is because it's connected to what if I lose my job? What happens if the economy goes sour? What happens if whatever, see? And so it becomes this obsession with the provision and not the provider. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna store up, I'm gonna save up, and then it becomes this, this uh, the, the uh, foolish rich man who's made more barns and bigger barns and all that stuff, and hey, things are, you know, I'm gonna store up, I'm gonna store up, I'm gonna store up, and of course, the, 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 we'll look at this later, the, the moral of the whole thing is, you know, oh foolish man, your, your soul's gonna be, uh, gonna be required of you today, and what will all that you've stored up uh, accomplish for you? So again, have you been able to calm the worry associated with the possible loss of everything? Have you been able to put away from yourself the drive to attain things as a form of satisfaction? And because hanging on to things produces a lot of opportunity for worry. You know, I remember reading in uh, uh, Billy, uh, Ruth Lott Graham's uh, memoirs, uh, early in their marriage, Billy and Ruth, of course, traveled around itinerant evangelists just before he was preaching to tens of thousands of people each time he would preach. And so they're, they're in a church, and, and during the offering, the usher comes up on the stage and actually puts the plate right in front of Billy Graham. Of course, he's there as a guest, as a guest evangelist, and so he pulls out his wallet and... Um, he thinks he's grabbing a $1 bill, and he actually grabs the only $10 bill that he had in his wallet, so he throws it in the, in the plate. And so um, as he sees it disappear into the church coffers, he's feeling this sense of doom, and then he gets to the end of the night, and the, uh, the uh, church treasurer failed to give him an honorarium that they promised for speaking, so they're on their way home. He's thrown that only $10 that he had in, uh, in his wallet in the offering plate, and uh, he tells his wife, Ruth, what happens? And so instead of being sympathetic, she just says, you know, and just think, you know, the Lord's only going to give you credit for the $1 bill because that's all you intended to give to begin with. And, uh, and so he learned a very valuable lesson, of course, about the Lord's provision for him and how all that works. But, um, you know, the bottom line is, where have you set your heart? You know, 1 Timothy 6, 17, look there. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited. That's proud about what they have or their position in life or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So question number five and six are really close together. So let's look at number five. Have I been able to subdue any form of self-importance or vanity associated with anything I have? Now, again, this is just a barometer of how we're using what's been provided. So the question is, can you say yes to this? Are you able to subdue any form of self-importance or vanity associated with whatever it is you have, whether it's a big portfolio, a really super nice house, a nice car, or whatever? And these are very difficult things to overcome, are they not? Sometimes we get, you know, you pull up and you're thinking, yeah, this is great. Look at what I'm driving. You know, this is a good thing. You know, this can be a very easy thing to become assimilated into our life. But we want to be able to say, we want to be able to say, yes, I, I, I subdue that. It, it, what I have doesn't matter. And what I have is going to be all burned up, according to Peter. And I'm perfectly fine with that. I've got no problems letting it all go into smoke because that's where it's headed. And then question six is really like that, connected to this verse. And here it is. Are you setting your security and your hope for the future in the God who provides all things and not on the things themselves? Because that's another thing you want to say yes to. Is my security and my hope for the future set on the uncertainty of riches? Because Proverbs 23, 4, and again, I'm reading that right now in my quiet time, so that's why you're getting it a lot. Um, do not worry yourself to gain wealth. Stop thinking about that, for wealth certainly take, makes itself, what does it say? wings and flies away that's a great observation instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches but on god who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy on the supplier 
who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And it appears not only just the necessities, right? And so you can be fully confident if you have anything, it's because the Lord's provided it to you. But what we want to make sure that we're doing is say yes to uh, subduing any self-importance or vanity associated with what I have. And yes to I'm setting my security and my hope on, for my future on the Lord. And if I lost everything in a stock market crash or a dip or whatever it is, I, I'm still comp as secure as I was before. Can you say yes to that? I'm just as secure regardless of what my portfolio may look like. Then you're starting to deal with, uh, with material things in a spiritual manner. Let's keep going. We'll get on our next question. Verse 18, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Question seven, are you generous and ready to share what you have? That's a simple yes or no. And so you can just say this, do you? When the opportunity comes, do you share what you have? Is that something that is a first response for you? Hey, I've got, I can meet that need, see? Can you say yes? I'm generous and ready to share what I have. If you begin to do that, see, if you're beginning to say yes to that, to subdue that self-importance and vanity associated with things you may have, if you can say yes to that, if you're setting your security and your hope for the future on the God who provides all things and not the things themselves, you say yes to that. Are you generous and ready to share whatever it is that you have? See, you're beginning to align yourself. As you say yes to these things, you're align aligning yourself and your personal finances with the way the Lord wants you to look at them. Verse 19, look there, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Here's question eight that you can answer yes to. Are you using whatever the Lord has prospered you with, whether it's a little or a lot, to lay up a good foundation for the future? And just to be clear, that's the eternal future, okay? So obviously he's not going to redirect you to make sure you have this huge uh, portfolio so you're good okay, and your safety is in what you have. He's talking about laying up treasure in heaven. That's the whole point of Matthew 6, see. Can you say yes to that? I'm generous and ready to share. Can you say yes? I'm using what the Lord's prospering me with, whether it's a little or a lot, to lay a good foundation for the future. Because listen, when you do that, you're beginning to live the life here, this is the whole point Paul's making, that God had planned for you. Generous, sacrificial, faithful. This is how he deals with us how we're supposed to deal with what he's loaned to us. Scripture says that when you're generous and ready to share, that's where real life is found. See? So there's this benefit right now, not just for the future, your eternal future, for using what you have, but there's a benefit now. So let's sum them up. Are you ready to agree with God that everything you have comes from him? Can you say yes to that? Can you say yes that, uh, to God that you would be content with just the basics? Have you been able to put away from yourself the drive to attain things? Can you say yes, I have? Have you been able to subdue the worry associated with the possible loss of everything that you have? Have you been able to put away from yourself any form of self-importance or any vanity connected to anything that you have? Are you setting your security and your hope for the future on God and not the things he's provided for you? Are you generous and ready to share what you have? Are you using whatever the Lord's prospered you with, whether great or small, to lay up a good foundation for your eternal future, not this present one? See? See, these are questions you need to be answering yes to. And if you're answering yes, then you're dealing spiritually with material things. See? So this is the positive side then of the, of the other ones we saw last time where, hey, maybe I'm not, maybe, I, maybe I'm selfish, maybe I'm whatever. See? And it's possible then, again, if you're honest, you may be answering no to some of those which we just said. 
if you're honest. Nobody else is looking into your heart. They can't tell. Uh, maybe your sense of security comes from money. And if that case, listen, Scripture calls that idolatry. Let's just be clear. As soon as you set your hope and set your security on something besides the Lord, that becomes a form of idolatry. When you go to work, if you just work for the dollar and the prestige that money brings and not just to honor the Lord, Scripture tells, that, tells us that that is pride and idolatry together. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 through 24 gives us a great illustration. It's a slave-master relationship, but we can certainly see the employer-employee relationship here reflected easily. He says that slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. So we have an employer-employee relationship. You, you, you deal with someone like that, um, not with external service as those who merely please men. So in other words, you're not just watching out when the boss comes, you're working hard, and when the boss isn't there, you're not working hard, just to please men, but with sincerity of heart, Fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. So whatever job you're working, whatever it is that you're doing, however far you are away from your boss at any given time, do it heartily as for the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. If you work for the dollar and not for the glory of the Lord, that's idolatry, that's pride, and that's the love of money, see? And the opposite of that is the things we just got through saying. Agree with God that everything you have comes from him. You'd be okay with just the basics. I put away for myself the drive to attain things. See, you begin to combat that with the scriptures we just looked at. And again, you can love money and have a lot of it. You can love money and not have any. You know, when you do well monetarily, is that where you find your best satisfaction? See, because if that's the case, that's the love of money. When, you, when your sense of security comes from how well invested you are or the size of your checking account or your savings account, again, that's the love of money, that's idolatry, that's placing your hope on the supply and not the supplier. Because remember, 1 Timothy 6, 7, when you die, you're going to leave it behind. You brought nothing into the world. You can take nothing out of it. And the only thing that will welcome you into heaven, remember, beloved, we just saw that in 1 Timothy 6, 18, instruct them to the good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Why? Because you're storing up for yourself a treasure of a good foundation for the future. That will welcome you into heaven. To be good, be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, those things pass on. Those things are remembered by the Lord. And you can take hold of what's life indeed here. First Timothy 6, 9, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation, a snare, many foolish, harmful desires to plunge men into ruin and destruction. So there's your opposite poles, see? And that's some serious language right there. Ruin and destruction, harmful desires, foolishness, temptation, a snare, You're not in good company with the love of money. Numbers 22 through 24, Balaam sinned and attempted to put a curse on God's people for the love of money. Achan, as we saw when John took us through Joshua 7, Achan kept back part of something consecrated to the Lord, caused Israel's army to be defeated and his whole family to be destroyed for the love of Delilah betrayed Samson's secret for the love of Judges 16. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 lied to the Holy Spirit during the time of, of the early church during the collection, said they had made a certain amount and that they'd given a certain amount and it wasn't consistent with what they'd made and what they'd given. And they could have said anything, and they could have given anything. It's just they lied com in, in comparison to what they said they were doing. And God killed them right in front of everybody. Matthew 26 and 27, for money Judas betrayed Jesus. And for money, people steal identities and leave whole families destitute. 
as we just saw with the Equifax breach, right? And the, the, the wave and the ripples of that are going to go on for years with children who don't even have a job yet whose identities have been stolen. That's for the love of money. For the love of money, retired adults are conned out of life savings by a simple phone call from somebody in Jamaica. Play this lottery. We've got an investment. We, we have a big uh, investment we want to give to you. Give us your personal information. We'll make sure you have it. That's the love of money. So it's not really good company. See, Scripture says, listen, you can answer yes to these things. Yes, I put away from myself the desire to attain things. Yes, I put away from myself this, this fear of losing everything because my supplier hasn't changed. See, Or we can say no to those things and we can find ourselves in very bad company. We want to love God, we want to serve him, we want to honor him, and he's given us a way to do that in material ways and spiritual ways see, and handling material things spiritually. We take what he gives and we, and, and we use it how he wants us to use it, setting aside doing the things he's asked us to do as a test for our expression of love to him, see. You know, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. Keep deception and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I may not be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? That's putting your, your reliance on what you have, right? The supplies instead of the supplier. Or that I may be in want and steal, profane the name of the Lord. See, setting our heart on money and things corrupts from both sides. We can have a lot and forget the Lord. We can have a little and we can forget the Lord or be uh, uh, upset that he hasn't provided any more for us than he has, see. And so the writer of the Proverbs, he wanted reliance on God's sovereignty. He wanted God to distribute to him. You can get that, right? I mean, that, that's really what we want to be. Very hard to find yourself there. It's got to be deliberate. That's why Paul says, listen, I'm not going to come and I'm not going to beat you up when I come to Corinth. I'm not going to pass the plate three times. I'm not going to try to convince you to do this. Listen, this, this is how the Lord said to do it. Just do it this way. And when you come, we'll take the collection. We'll meet the needs of the church. See? Jesus really simplifies it in Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And what's the answer to that, beloved? Of course you are. And many of you can really, you, you understand this. I'm not teaching you something new. You understand the reliance on the Lord, and you understand his provision over the years, because you've handled uh, material things spiritually for a long time. And you could get, stand up and give testimony after testimony. I get that. But not everybody's in that position, see? Not everybody's got to the spot where they begin to live life that way. And so that's why we go through this, see? So you can start early. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to the life? And who can? No one. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God... So clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? Listen, this is so important right here. Verse 32. The Gentiles eagerly seek all those things. And what is that? What is that? What is that? That's someone who's not a believer. Someone who doesn't understand the basic principles of handling material things in a spiritual manner. These are people who are unredeemed. This is what they do. See, We certainly don't want the culture to assault the church, right? We want the church to assault the culture. This is what they do. 
they worry about what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and what they're going to wear and what they're going to have and where they're going to live and just kind of add to it. You just kind of sum it up. It's not an exhaustive list of everything you can want. It's just a list of things people worry about. Don't worry, he says. Jesus says this, For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Mark this. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So it's not even a question of informing the Lord about what your needs are. He already knows what you need. And we, we can relate to that, right? He's already provided them for us, hasn't he? And over and above those things that we need, he already knows what you need. What do we do then? Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. See, again, where is the priority? Where do we set our heart? Where is our kingdom? The Lord knows what we need. Yes, you have to live here. Yes, you have to work. Yes, you're going to need to bring in a paycheck. Yes, you're going to have to be diligent about that. Yes, you're going to have to save for the future. Yes, all of those things. The Lord knows we need those things. They are all part and parcel of being good financial uh, managers of what the Lord has loaned to us. But above all those things, seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. See? And we respond to the Lord in his kingdom and his righteousness when we do what 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4 tell us to do. See, Among so many other things we saw all the way through the book. These principles that become the pattern for living. This is how we respond correctly to the Lord. See? We're going to stop a little earlier than we used to, normally will today. We have a missions moment update. I want you to uh, hear that. So we're going to wrap up our time. So here's, what's the remedy? So we've done this all the way through. So what's the remedy? See, if I can't answer yes to all these questions, if I realize that I love money, or I'm saying no to some of those last questions we went through, see, what, what do I do? Well, I admit to God that what you've been doing is sin. And we don't say that enough, do we? I mean, we just say, hey, listen, if I've got a problem here, if I'm doing something that's contrary to what the Word of God says, then you just have to admit that that's a sin. That's the way that works, see? You, when you're in your time in the Word and you see something that the Lord says for you to do and you find you're not doing it, or He says not to do it, you find you're doing it, what do you have to start with? You have to start with, Lord, that's a sin, and I need to stop doing that. And I, by your power and by the power of the Holy Spirit inside me and the gifts of the Spirit that you've given me, I desire to stop doing that. I recognize this, and I ask you to forgive me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's always faithful, and he's given us the Spirit to be our helper. See, So admit to God that what you've been doing is sin. You, you know, you don't have, and, and here's the deal. Romans 6, you don't have to answer to that master. See? So engage your will, yield your members to works of righteousness instead. That's the whole point of Romans 6, isn't it? Know and reckon and yield. Pour out your life for the things that honor God. You know, work your job. Take care of your responsibilities because God's watching and it's for him that you do it. See? That solves a lot of issues. Be content to let the money and the things come from God as he distributes it in his sovereignty. Just as we've talked. It doesn't mean don't work hard. It doesn't mean don't be motivated. Nothing. You know, if you work for someone else, you're supposed to be motivated and working hard to make sure they do well. Because you adorn the gospel when you do that. So I'm not saying just be lazy. I'm just saying... Work hard and let those things, the advancements and whatever it is, come from the Lord. Don't set your heart on those things. See? Pour out your life for the things that honor God. Set up some checks and balances in your life. You know, be content to let the money and things come in as he distributes it in his sovereignty. You know, don't say you'd do a better job if you were paid more. Okay? Do a great job because it's for the Lord that you work. You know, set your heart on glorifying God. If he distributes wealth to you, that's his choice. If he, if, if he doesn't distribute it to you, it's just the basics, then with that we can be content. Paul says, I've learned to abound, and I've learned to be a base. And in either way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, whatever it is. Don't set your heart on money. Don't just set your heart on things. And that's a heart attitude. It has nothing to do um, with circumstances. 
And I do appreciate your encouraging comments over the course of this study. Next time we're going to look at Luke 16, biblical priorities for the use of money, and then we're going to close this section out, and then we'll move right on and finish chapter 16. Uh, people have asked numerous times, so how do, I, how do I balance this? What do I do? How do I set up what, you know, what comes in? And what's the priority? I'm where I am. Here I, here's where I am in the life. Okay. Here's where I am currently. Here's my debt load. Here's here's the things that I have to take care of. Here's this. Uh, here, here are the here's the hard expenses that each month come in. And and so here's where I am. And here's what comes in. So what do I do? H- how do I do this to make this start to work? And just a very practical, I hope for you, very practical way that you can uh, a, a model you can use perhaps that can be helpful for you. That's our next uh, our next stop. And then uh, Lord willing, we will finish uh, chapter 16. Just kind of. Uh, go through that and look at some final instructions for conduct and then uh, close out this this marvelous letter let's be dismissed in a word of prayer as we uh, thank the lord for all that he's done lord we are grateful to you and thankful for your blessing on us you are certainly uh, rich in blessing and in provision for us we we wouldn't have anything apart from you we're grateful for what you provide uh, where whatever that is lord as we live in this world and we're made of clay, you, you understand very, very clearly uh, the attraction that's here in the culture. You've given us very basic principles to combat it. And we will uh, need the resources of your word to do it consistently, to change perhaps habits that have been ingrained in us, maybe from our parents or grandparents all the way till now. Whether it's consuming everything that comes in or uh, you know, saving everything and withholding what uh, is rightfully due and, and kind of consuming it on ourselves or, or whatever it is, uh, whatever pattern we've looked at, you know, setting our heart on things, setting our satisfaction on what, as we look around and seeing what we have, and we're more satisfied than if we didn't have much, whatever that is, Lord, however we came by that, we don't want to any longer be that way. So help us to be different people as we think about this thing that the world pursues so rampantly that so many crimes find their source really in the love of what you own anyway. Help our church then to be these types of people. And I thank you too, Father, for the faithfulness that's found here. We're grateful. I'm so grateful for all the needs that get met and the immediate needs that get met and the, and the generosity that's here. And Lord, thank you for that. I know that you've blessed those folks. You continue to bless them. They know your blessing. They've figured out that this worship in giving is the most wonderful part of really worshiping because it is a part that you have promised to bless and that you, they can, we can see right away that uh, how you provide. We've, our hearts have been encouraged over and over again in the things that you've done for us, and we're grateful. And Father, thank you for the time that we spent earlier in song. Think for Alex and, and all those who, who work so hard, Amy, and those who work so hard to provide the music for us. Thank you for uh, those who, who uh, minister in prayer amongst us. Thank you for the Sunday school teachers who minister to our little ones. Thank you for those who work hard on physical plant of the church around on the outside and the inside who give many, many hours uh, away using uh, their own resources many times and, and their time. We thank you for that. Thank you for the blessings of all those things. Thank you that it makes us alive. It shows that you're alive and your Holy Spirit's doing these things. And for that, we're also grateful. Father, as we move on into our time of fellowship plan for this day, Pray that you'll bless the food we're about to partake of with your, uh, with your blessing. Bless it to the use of our bodies. Thank you for those who got up early this morning or stayed up late last night to prepare it, that we could have fellowship. Lord, I pray that the fellowship will be as you would deem fit, full of encouragement and the meeting of needs, and absent of any of the vices the world provides or encourages or those parts of the flesh of us that would uh, like to involve ourselves in. Help it to be absent. 
For this week that comes up, Father, I pray that as we walk out the doors, we'll be salt and light, understanding our, uh, the great commandment and the great commission, the commission to uh, go and s- spread the gospel and the commandment to love uh, people like uh, we love ourselves. I pray that we'll do those kinds of things and then be known as salt and light in our communities. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.